0: But what God does in the Bible, he presents a portrayal of real people in real life who had real triumphs, but also real and disastrous failures. I want you to be encouraged with the fact that you hold in your hands the written word of God that he has given to us to encourage us both in the good and the difficult and the hard and the miserable of life. That we are now to see this and to learn from David's life and his mistakes that we might grow and learn as a benefit what he went through that Lord willing, we wouldn't have to suffer in the same way if we glean the wisdom that God has for us. All this to say, be encouraged by the discouragement of David.
1: Well, good day and welcome back to Live in the Light. I'm your host, Craig Turnbull, and we're so glad that you have joined us here again. And we say again, although some of you may be joining us for the first time here at Live in the Light, we want to let you know that Live in the Light is a radio ministry that believes firmly that radical transformation comes about through the revelation of God's truth. Live in the Light comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, which says for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And so we believe that strongly here at Live in the Light. And I have our teacher in studio with me today, Pastor Robbie Simons, and we're going specifically verse by verse through a much loved passage of scripture today, right Robbie? Such a well-known text, Psalm 51,
0: it deals so much with what's most important in our lives, which is of course the heart that we have in Christ, and as David wrestles with the sin that he was engaged in and how much consequences that took upon his life and where he was, but yet to see him what he does at that moment, how he goes to the Lord. And I'm just telling you, for our listeners here right now, I mean, the model that's presented here in Psalm 51 is absolutely life-changing. And if we get that, it's something we can take with us for the rest of our lives. So I just encourage you so much to listen, to, to consider so carefully, and to try to learn, again, not just for today, but for all the days that are coming, the truth And again, the models of transformation that are presented to us within this massively beautiful and important Psalm, Psalm
1: 51, for a heart that's going for the things of the Lord. All right, well, over these next few days, we're gonna be going through Psalm 51, looking at the confession that's found there, looking for the cleansing that's found there and the heart that leads to conviction. And if you find your heart in any of those categories and you wanna know more, and in fact would love a copy of this series, we would encourage you as our listeners to go online and visit us at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. Or you can phone us up at 1-844-22-LIGHT. That's 1-844-225-4448. All right, well, Psalm 51 is before us today, a heart of confession. And here again is our teacher, Pastor Robbie.
0: Psalm 51 found near the center of your Bible is one of the more beautiful and well-known psalms, but also well-known passages found within Scripture. And the context, the context, of course, for the psalm is found in the inspired title, which is just above verse one. So if you look at Psalm 51, there's a title that goes with the psalm. And again, that is just as much a part of the inerrant word as any other verse that we will find. And notice the context it provides um, as the title. It says here, it says, uh, to the choir master, a psalm, of David, And let me just stop there for a second. Notice to the choir master, this is meant for singing. This is meant for teaching. This is meant not for private. This is meant for public. This Psalm was written uh, detailing some of the hardest times of David's life to be used for the benefit of God's people, including us, the church, today. This is here by God, the details again of some really, really hard things and a heart that David puts out on the table and on paper for us to examine in a way that we probably would be very uncomfortable if it was us. But God does that through David's life, that we might learn, that we might be blessed. So right from the beginning, this is what we're learning. A psalm for our benefit, a psalm for the public reading, public singing, a psalm that we may grow from. It says here, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So the context that we're learning here is David has committed two grievous sins primarily. There's many other sins that accompany these sins, but the two sins that are first and foremost, the sins of adultery David committed with Bathsheba. And in trying to cover up that sin, then he was led in his own futile thinking to see the murder of Uriah, who of course was the husband of Bathsheba. Nathan is then sent by God. God sends Nathan to confront David. David's sin is then revealed. David's heart then is utterly broken and devastated. And from the outworking of his personal devastation, Psalm 51 then is written and before us right now. Now, before we go any further too, I want us to see this. The Bible is not just full of stories of people who did everything right. The Bible is not just full of success stories that we read over and over again, and in some way we'd be inspired, but at the end of the day, if it was only success stories, we'd be utterly depressed and discouraged because we'd be like, what's wrong with us, right? But what God does in the Bible, he presents a portrayal of real people in real life who had real triumphs, but also real and disastrous failures. I want you to be encouraged with the fact that you hold in your hands the written word of God that he has given to us to encourage us both in the good and the difficult and the hard and the miserable of life, that we are now to see this and to learn from David's life and his mistakes, that we might grow and learn as a benefit what he went through, that Lord willing, we wouldn't have to suffer in the same way if we glean the wisdom that God has for us. All this to say, be encouraged by the discouragement of David, but also be encouraged by the grace that David finds in the mercy and the love of the one and only God. This psalm is an opportunity this week and the weeks to follow. This psalm God wants to use to do great things in your heart and in mine. Psalm 51 becomes a photograph of David's heart. It's a picture of a man unpacking the seriousness of sin, but the amazing grace of God. So we are fools if we don't learn from this. We are foolish if we brush this off. We are wise, though, if we take heed lest we fall. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He uses the examples of failures in the people of Israel. And then he says, lest you think you fall, take heed lest you fall. If you think you're going to stand, take heed lest you fall. We are wise if we take heed to the truth before us right now to think that we are beyond falling. This psalm, I suggest to you, will have three main sections in the outline that we're going to see over the next three weeks. We're gonna see this today. We're gonna to see a heart of confession. And from a heart of confession, we're gonna see a heart that is cleansed. That's next we created me a clean heart. And from there we will then see a heart of conviction. And here's the process of the heart. Again, I give to you to mull over and to digest. The genuine heart of confession before God in our sin will lead to a genuine heart that is cleansed. A heart that is cleansed will lead to a heart of conviction. Confession is have mercy on me, O God. I have sinned before you. Con- Uh, cleanses, creating me a clean heart, oh God. Confession leads to cleansing. And from cleansing, then David says, teach me, I will then teach transgressors your ways. I will go from confession in my sin to being cleansed by God to now a resolve to be used of God because I've learned from my mistakes. I've received mercy and cleansing from God. And now I'm resolved to be used to teach others to learn from where I've been and what I've done. A heart of confession, a heart that is cleansed and a heart of conviction. Confession, cleansing, and conviction. The power and the potential of a series like this is that you never move beyond the process for the heart, never. You never move beyond this process of confession, cleansing, and conviction. No matter where we find ourselves, we are always in line for a change of heart. Now, if your heart like, is like mine, and it is because we're all sinners together, if your heart is like mine, then you will find your heart at times to be hard, you will find your heart at times to be indifferent. You will find your heart at times to be just flat out lazy. You will find your heart to be at times distant and cold and not feeling the affections for God that you think it should. If your heart is like mine, at times you will find it to be unrepentant. And that is why then every day our heart is in need of change because that's the process of the Christian life to confess, to be cleansed and to be filled with conviction. And so think of all the hearts in the room right now. Think of all the different hearts in different places and the different needs. God's calling you because he loves you. And God's calling me because he loves me. And so we're praying most of all that God would change hearts. He's the only one who can. I mean, even the theme verse for this whole series, create in me a clean heart. Who does the creating? God does. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Only God can create a clean heart. But we need to run to him to desire that to happen. Let me pray as we begin This time now, Father, this is a serious series in a lot of ways, but it's also very exciting. The opportunity, Lord, for a changed heart. Lord, we all need a changed heart in one way or another, Lord. Whether it be the very beginning of salvation itself, Lord, the continued process of sanctification of growing more in Jesus Christ. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, by your grace and mercy and love, would you change our hearts? May there be genuine confession and genuine cleansing and genuine conviction over this week and the weeks to follow, I pray right now, Lord, you are speaking as only you can by your Holy Spirit to every individual who can hear this message right now. How exciting it is, Lord, to know you can do what we cannot. But I pray, Lord, you will find us willing, ready, and wanting, Lord, wanting to identify ourselves with David that we might also receive the mercy and the grace and the love of our God today. Change us, O God. Create in us clean hearts, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 51, verse one, check it out. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot all my transgressions. And you teach me wisdom. What does God care most about? The secret heart. God cares most about the heart. Today, what we have here is a front row seat as to a genuine heart of confession and what it truly looks like. Loved ones, discipline yourself right now. Discipline yourself to search your heart. Discipline yourself in asking God to change your heart. We know this, at least we need to know, a heart of confession is not casually saying, forgive my sins, God, and then moving on to the rest of our, day. No, a true heart of confession is so much more, so much deeper, so much more powerful, so much life giving. You and I both know this too. It's so easy to skim the surface of our sin without ever dealing with the root. But the problem biblically is if we don't deal with the root, then we'll never change the fruit. And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us aren't too happy with the fruit of our lives. The fruit hanging from our tree, we're not excited about. Why isn't it changing? Why isn't it changing? Because you've never actually tackled the root. If you don't get to the root, you won't change the fruit. And we blame others. We we rationalize our situations. We try to call it something what it isn't. We make all these excuses up, but the reality is the reason the fruit is still what it is on our tree is because we haven't had the humility and the transparency and the heart of confession enough to actually peel it open, get the root out and plant something fresh, new and right in return. What David does today, man, he gets the root on the table. He's bearing himself completely. And as awful as the sin is, you will find that he will find the amazing grace of God meets him in tremendous mercy and blessing and love. The reality here today is that in this room, sin is everywhere. It just is because we're all sinners. There's obvious sin in this room. Listen, there's hidden sin in this room. There are lives that are living double lives here. There are lives that are living lies. There are people right now, you're saying one thing when you show up here and then you go and do something else. There are people who are in dark rooms and in places that you think no one sees and there's sins that are occurring. But you have to know that God sees. And we're gonna see that today. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden from God. The reality here today is sin is everywhere. But hear this, hear this, hear this. The reality here today is grace is everywhere. Grace is everywhere and we're gonna see today as great as our sin is, our savior and his grace is greater. But it's the heart of confession that accesses the grace that powerfully frees us from our sin. It takes a heart of confession to know they need to cry out for the mercy of God. 1 John chapter one, if, if, the condition is if, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us and cleanse us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive, to forgive, to forgive and to cleanse. If, 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 if you confess, faithful and just forgive and cleanse. So then the heart of confession becomes, becomes the thing that breaks the dam of sin. And when the dam of sin is broken, what rushes upon us is the power and the grace and the love of God to flow freely through our lives once again. It's the heart of confession that sends the dark storm clouds away and invites the warm and the glory of the sun to be seen again. This is the power of the heart of confession we see today through the life of David. So what we're going to do is we're going to see four signs of a genuine heart of confession from our passage today. Four signs of a genuine heart of confession. Here's the first sign. Here's the first sign that you and I have a genuine heart of confession. It's this, um, it cries out for mercy. It cries out for mercy. If my heart is in a genuine place of confession, there's one place I'm going. I'm going for the mercy of God and I cry out for it. Look at verse one. Have mercy on me, O God. David cries out in the midst of his despair. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, that's so beautiful, from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Notice right away, loved ones, notice the seriousness of David's confession. I mean, we're looking before us right here at truly a broken man. Notice this. This is so important to see as we deal with our own sin, as we deal with the reality of the difficulties in our lives. Notice this. Notice there are no excuses. Notice there's no rationalization. Notice there's no fault finding. Notice there's no blame shifting. David has got his sin on the table and he's crying out for one thing, God's mercy from one person, from God the Father. The two sins primarily David is confronted with as we know were adultery and murder. Both of these sins under the law of God were punishable by death. The Mosaic law provided no forgiveness for these. The sacrifice of a thousand goats or a thousand sheep could not atone for such sin. David knows this to be true and therefore due to the hardness and the devastation of his own heart, the only hope he has is to cry out for, listen, for the undeserved and unmerited mercy of his God. His only hope for mercy is found in his God. And this is so critical and important Important then for us to understand. Because the only way a sinner can approach God is solely by the mercy and the grace of God. The sinner does not stand a chance, does not have a hope apart from the undeserved mercy of God. If our sin was placed on a table and is piled as high as we could see, we could try for every cleansing agent we could think of, but nothing would work. Nothing would work except for the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And David knows this, you see? So, so put yourself in the understanding of this truth. David knows he's dead by himself. And that's why then the passion comes out to cry for the mercy of God. When you know you have one savior and one way to be forgiven, you're not treating that casually. This then becomes not a casual line of confession. For David, this is a repentance that is ripping him apart. It's ripping him apart because all he has in this moment, he knows his whole life is relying on the mercy, on the grace and the love of his God. Notice in verses one and two, notice three words used for sin. Can you find them there? Three used words for sin, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. But notice also in verses one and two, three used words for God's love or God's mercy. Mercy, steadfast love, and abundant mercy, which means compassion. This is so awesome. So hear this truth. For every act of sin, ready, loved ones? There's an offer of grace. For every act of sin, whether it be transgression or iniquity and sin, there's an offer of grace and mercy and steadfast love and abundant mercy. As awful as David's sin is, and ours is too, more amazing is the grace and mercy of God. Transgression here refers to our rebellion against God. Iniquity here refers to our perversion or our depravity of our nature. Sin here refers to falling short of the mark that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Transgression, iniquity, sin, bad news, met with the good news, mercy, steadfast love and abundant mercy. The mercy of God is his unmerited loving assistance to those who are found to be pitiful, us. Steadfast love is a inexhaustible supply of God's love. His abundant mercy is his compassion. He feels our hurt. He sees us in our devastation. He cares and he calls us to be restored to himself. You see, so this is the heart of confession. The genuine heart of confession sees sin, but more the genuine heart of confession sees mercy even more. Notice David, he says, blot out. He says, wash me. He says, cleanse me. How does David view his sin? as absolute filth, but he sees the mercy of his God again as even greater. I want you to see that where there's transgression, you find mercy. Where there's iniquity, you find steadfast love. Where there's sin, you find abundant mercy. So may we see our sin. These things go together. May we see our sin. May we see his mercy even more. We understand the reality of our sin, but even more, we understand the mercy and the love and the grace of our God that meets us there if we ask him. If you and I have a genuine heart of confession, we cry out for mercy. We cry out for mercy. And secondly, we do this. We suddenly see clearly if I have a genuine heart of confession, I will suddenly see clearly. Look at verse three. Verse three, he says, for I know, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Loved ones, one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual revival is spiritual blindness. One of the greatest hindrances to spiritual revival whether in a life, in a leader, in a church, is spiritual blindness. There are families, there are leadership teams, there are churches sitting in stagnancy because they can't see their sin. And if you can't see your sin, then you can't own your sin. You can't own your sin, you can't be freed from that. In John chapter seven, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, everything's about the heart, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, everything is about the heart. Again, again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the roots are bad, the fruit is bad. If the tree's not gonna be healthy, the heart's not healthy. Out of his heart will flow, will flow rivers of living water. This isn't stagnant, unmoving water. Out of his heart, as belief comes, will flow rivers of living water. The very next verse in John says this, It says that this was about the spirit. And he said this about the spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, who would live within his disciples. Hard flow rivers are to occur through the life of the believer who sees clearly and actively pursuing his God. Now let's get our theology straight just for a second. Regeneration is the theological term for when we are born again, when we go from death to life, when we are made as new creations. And a regeneration, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit once and for all, never to leave us again. That's regeneration. That's born again. That's again, becoming a new creation. But we also know from scripture, even though the Holy Spirit can never leave us, we do know from scripture, we can quench the spirit of God in our lives. We can grieve the spirit of God within our lives. And the quickest way to quench the Holy Spirit in your life is to be blind to sin within your life. See, and this is what makes Psalm 51 so powerful. Look what David does. He says, I know my transgressions. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I love right here, David. He's just, he's so transparent. And, there, and, there, and there, there's just no excuse. There's no blame anywhere but himself. He says, I see my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. David committed adultery. David committed murder. And you need to know too, for a year's time, he tried to hide and rationalize this behavior. He tried to go along this path and this plan of making it seem something that it wasn't. But in the end, truth caught up to him. And the reality of what he had done, no longer could he cover it up. Loved ones, learn this from David's life. Sin left unchecked will breed more sin. Sin left unchecked. It will breed, it will breed more sin. It's devastating to see what starts off as a little lie. But in order to cover the little lie, you got to tell a bit of a greater lie. In order to cover the little lie and the greater lie, you gotta tell a really big lie. And the process goes on. If you never get back to the root of what happened in the first place, your sin starts as a little innocent thing, so to speak, and then it grows and it grows and it grows till it's this massive blotch of filth behind you and you're trying to cover it up so no one can see. But the reality is it's only a matter of time before that thing gets burst and it explodes in a disgusting filth all over you and all over all the people you love as well. That's the devastation of sin. You try to make one lie, another lie, another lie, another lie, excuse, excuse, rationalize the whole time. We have this massive time bomb ticking and it's going to go. God will make sure of it because he loves you too much. That when it goes off, what a mess. What a mess. See because God loved David so much, what did he do? He sent Nathan. He sent Nathan. He sent Nathan to tell him what was true. And Nathan comes up and revealed by God, he tells David a story. He says, David, there were two men. One was really rich and one was poor. The rich man had all the money and all the flocks and sheep and goats that he could want. And he was enjoying his lavish lifestyle. But the poor man, he had really nothing. He had one little ewe lamb. And this one little lamb, man, he, he was so tender with it and he cared for it. And he even treated the lamb and his children like it was his daughter. It says that in the Bible. And as this lamb was his daughter and he fed it and held it in his arms, the, the only lamb that he had, but a, a traveler came into the city and the rich man was so selfish, he didn't want to take anything that he had, even though he had an abundance. So he goes and he takes the little precious lamb from this poor man, the only lamb he had, he takes it, kills it, prepares it and gives it to the traveler. What do you think about that, David? David, here's the story. He's incensed. He's indignant and he's furious. And he says, as the Lord lives, that man deserves to die. And what becomes one more famous statements in scripture, Nathan then turns to David and says, David, you are that man. Now right here, loved ones, right here, this is a defining moment in the life of David. David has two options at this point when his sin is revealed and confronted to him. He can either pride up or he can either break down. He can pride up in his excuses, his blame, his rationalization, just eliminating the people that are coming against him, or he can choose to break down. Pride always blinds us to reality. Humility always causes us to see clearly. How many men and women have been brought down by God because they are not willing to be broken down? How many men and women have been brought down by God because they are not willing in their pride to break down? We have to see the moment we break down those, the moment we're built up by the Lord. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's here. See, this is where I give David so much credit. As awful as his sin was, it's here. The reason he's called a man after God's own heart is he knows what's right in this moment. And he chooses to break down as opposed to pride up. Nathan explains the details of David's sin. And David, all he can cry is this, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. And this becomes a massive turning point in David's life. Are there consequences for his sin? Yes, there are. His life would never be the same in some respects, but the reality also even more is the powerful mercy and love and grace of God that meets David in a time when he deserves it not. And in verse four of our Psalm, this is when David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you, God, you only have I sinned. Now, it's not that David's sin was not against Uriah or Bathsheba. And really, his sin was against the entire Jewish kingdom. It was. All the people were affected. But here's what's so key, and stay with me here. Murder in our land is a crime. It's a crime against the laws of our land. But only before God does it become a sin.
1: Thanks for listening to Live in the Light today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in in the Light.